Greetings to our global neighbors and all the ships at sea. From coast to coast, border to border, this is Message Traffic from Washington, D.C., presented by the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs. As political tension grows in the western African nation of Benin, so does pressure on the current president, Patrice Talon. After contradicting a promise to serve only one term as president, after disqualifying almost every opposition candidate running in the upcoming election, after arresting opposition political leaders in broad daylight, President Talon has shifted from democratic leader to autocrat in very short order. With the validity of the April 11th elections now in question and the democratic future of this once shining city on a hill in doubt, the broader ramifications of the political instability in Benin could have adverse regional, continental, and even global effects. Today, we will be speaking with Ambassador Omar Aruna. Ambassador Aruna was the former ambassador of the Republic of Benin to the United States and Mexico and is currently the Vice President of the Board of Directors for the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs, the production organization of this podcast. With his expressed interest in this topic based on his background as an ambassador, we look forward to having an inside point of view. And now, our discussion with Ambassador Omar Aruna. Ambassador Aruna, thank you very much for joining us on this important topic. My pleasure, Justin. So, uh, Ambassador, let's let's start with the beginning of the issue with uh, with Benin. For years, leading up to the the presidential election in 2016, which we'll get to here shortly. Uh, Benin was looked at as the, you know, the 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 shining city on a hill, the the bastion of democracy in Africa. How did how did Benin go from French colonialism to being almost a model for democracy on the African continent? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, yes, uh, indeed. Uh, and this all this for Benin started really in 1990, and uh, prior to 1990. Uh, we were, or Benin people were under the uh, revolutionary communism rule, which was a matriarchal coup. And then uh, past that in 1990, I think there were a serious uprise in the country. Uh, after that uprise, we had what they call a national dialogue, which they call a conference, national conference, where uh, all the people of Benin, uh, all walk of uh, life came together and uh, they sat. We talked for about five days, and at the end of that discussion, it came out that everybody agreed that we need to move from an autocratic regime to a fully democratic regime. 
And from that point on, they put together some laws and they, uh, they law. And then from that law, they, they vote a whole new constitution, which is the 1990 constitution, which uh, proclaimed that uh, democracy is the main political system that Benin supposed to go under with the free market as uh, the main economic system. Right. So how how democratic? I mean, you know, we hear a lot of African countries claiming that they are free and democratic. How real how real was the democracy in Benin after 1990? It, it was real until 2016, meaning that we have a free fair election and uh, a, a power move from opposition to uh, from a, a government, I mean, a, a government, a sitting government to opposition and vice versa. I mean, because the election was put under what they call a, a commission, which is an independent commission. Press was vibrant in the, during the, uh, that time and everything was clearly transparent. But that's one thing, but it also is because of the people that were really heading those institutions. That's uh, how, when we say about democracy, I will tell you that during those time, uh, there were no, no challenge about uh, alternate in a country and uh, corruption was uh, really uh, front open. So basically, yes, it was just like any other democracy. So when now that we've gone into the 2016 election, we start talking about the election of the current president, Patrice Talon. And with, with the election of, of President Talon, there has been question uh, in, the, in the world community about his, um, his embracing democracy, his promotion of democracy. Uh, some are calling him a reversion back to a old school African autocrat. Is that fair to President Talon? I think that is uh, uh, an understatement. Really? Uh, okay. Yes, it's an well, understatement. How so? How so? Because uh, when President Talon came to power, he was elected and one overwhelming 65% of the people voted for Thailand. But the first thing he did basically is start cramping down on the press. He basically closed all the private press and the government press was completely uh, uh, tightened. They ran on the, uh, com uh, uh, on the uh, government press. So there is no private press in Benin. I'm talking about uh, print press as well as radio or TV at this moment. And uh, he moved from that point on, he started chasing the opposite. The first thing he did after the, 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 his opponent, who became his allies, which is Ajavon uh, uh, Sebastian, for him to win, he basically chased that person away in exile. And from that point on, he just went down the hill. But 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 let me let me jump in real quick, uh, Ambassador Aruna. Is my understanding is is that uh, Patrice Talon was only in 2016. He made a commitment. He was only going to serve one four-year term. What changed his mind in January when he announced again 
that he was running for a second term, which also started a whole new plethora of problems. Yes, uh, actually, what changed his mind is basically Patrice Talley didn't have any intention of of, of not running for the second term. As a matter of fact, I suspected that Patrice Talley, if given the chance, he would stay there for 20, 30 years. It was basically a gimmick for him to say because he knows people of Benin are attached to the democracy. He, he, for him, for him to win, he has to say anything so they can elect him. So the only thing he find to say is that I will only be one term president. Did, did Patrice Tillon sell the electorate of Benin a, a bill of goods in 2016? Uh, I'm not quite sure what you mean by. <clears throat> if, did he did he lie to? the people of Benin in yes, 2016 definitely he to did, get elected. He, he lied to the people of Benin of 2016. He, he lied to the people. He basically, you see, the first thing he did and people knew he was lying is after having seen that he would not run for the first time. Also, he has claimed in the past that the state, I mean, the country, the government or the state of Benin owe him a lot of money and that he would not collect that money if he get elected. Once he got elected, his first uh, uh, council of minister uh, 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 in Benin, which was a week after his uh, inauguration, he basically uh, uh, make his first act as a president is to ask the state to pay him all the money that he think the government owe him. So that's how he lied. At the same time, he basically, is a, I, I, I don't even know where to start. He's just like right, but 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 ambassador, you you have to admit. I mean, he's a politician. I mean, he's going to lie to get elected. I mean, he, I mean, we have that here in the United States. We have that in, in pretty much any democracy. Why? Sh what makes him different? and what he did in 2016 versus any other democratic politician? Well, his uh, case is that uh, he he just constantly lied. We can understand to right. some extent that you lie to get elected. And then again, you don't lie. You lie on the promise of a program sometime when you are a politician, but you don't lie on the core value of a system that have elected you. Knowing that you will destroy democracy, democracy. While you're running, you don't say that I will uphold the rule of law. I will further democracy. That's completely. It, I don't think it's a politician lie. This is just uh, cynicism. Right. So let's fast forward. Uh, President Talon serves his uh, first four-year term. Uh, unexpectedly, and I use air quotes. Uh, in, in that unexpectedly, President Tone decides he is going to run for a second term in January with elections occurring in, uh, if I'm wrong, Ambassador, that would be April. Of, mm -hmm. uh, uh, April coming up? April 11th. April 11th. Okay, fantastic. Um, almost immediately, there is pressure on 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 opposition candidates, most notably is Rekia Madugo. Uh, yes. And 
tell me about tell me about Rekia Modugo and uh, what her role is in all of this. Okay, before I talk about Rekia Modugo, let me just lay out the process for you so you know. Basically, okay, fair. Uh, like you say, almost immediately that Patrice uh, decided that he will get he have a, he's been elected. He decided to run. And from that point on, he started putting some of the pieces of the puzzle together who will enable him not only to run, but to eliminate anybody that will challenge him. The first thing he did is basically, he basically changed the rule a lot about the election and put some element into that rule who will prevent anybody to run, which happened in the a, in a first uh, legislative election two years after his uh, 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 when he came to power. Then fast forward, same thing happened during the uh, this upcoming presidential election. In relation to Reiki Amadougou, obviously in a country what have happened is like he definitely subdued most of the opposition. If you're against Pakistan, you're out of the country or Wait, you are in jail. So you're, you're talking about... You're talking about the arrest of other opposition leaders, such as uh, Moise Kereko and Jola Evo, correct? Yeah, I'm talking about uh, uh, Moise Kereko, which we have opposition, but he kicked them everybody out. But the right. only thing in relation to Madugu is like... Uh, but they're not there in country. They they are now in no, exile, is that no, correct? They are, no, no, they're, like, they're in country. They're in the country. Okay. Country, but... Uh, What's have been happening is like uh, if you're too forceful and engaging with regard to him, he will kick you out. Or if you have the mean, I'm talking about the financial mean or the relationship to be able to challenge his power, he will either jail you or he will uh, uh, exile you. So in the case of Rekia, what have happened is like uh, she basically is a tenacious woman who is also very well liked around the world, but who also decided that she will not cede any uh, any momentum to Patrice Talon when it comes to challenging him. And right. that's what exactly what have really been annoying him. Now, for the record, uh, Rekia Madugo is the head of the largest opposing party, Le Democrat. Correct. Is the party Le Democrat and Rekia Madugo, I mean, obviously that much of a threat to President Talon and his power there in uh, Porto Novo uh, is, you know, I would think that the more the more candidates that you have out there, you know that that's like Amer. I mean, you talk about Western or American politics. You have an incumbent flood it with opposition. That that benefits the incumbent. Why? Why would President Talon take not only these measures but even more drastic measures? You know, we're, we've heard of stories of ambushes we've heard stories of 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 forceful arrest they've accused i believe it was Rekia Madugo of uh of of financing terrorism 
Yes, what he did to Rekia Madugu is unquestionable. Basically, what he did is that because he realized that she can be effectively challenging him because she the, was the flag bearer for one of the largest opposition party in Benin. And that party is has as an honorary chair the former president of the country who always have been very popular and very uh, loved person in a country. So therefore, the challenge is that if Patrice Talon sees any positionment to that party, they will win, a Talon, a Talon won't be able to even compete. So therefore, what he decided, he decided to bring bogus charts on her. But the way he did it is simple. He's a, the, after a meeting, a, a opposition meeting where all the uh, leader of the opposition, including Moïse Kereku and Joel Aivo, where at the end of the uh, meeting, what have happened is that uh, the police, the same policemen, but uh, the population, the people who were at the meeting, uh, uh, create a shield around those candidates, and they were able to get into the car. As soon as they got into the car, you had to get out of town. They they were ambushed by the police officers, and the three of them were, them were in the same car. They were ambushed by the the policemen, the army actually, the militaries. And once they were ambushed, what they did, they get they got the other two men out of the car. I'm talking about Mr. Aivo and Mr. Kereku. And right. a driver sat in a driver's seat and kept. Uh, Madame Rikia, uh, Rikia Madugu in a car and drove for directly to right. uh, the uh, brigade. So let me let me just go through a series of, of, of questions regarding uh, the the events that have happened over the over the past two years that, that is leading to the growing concern about the election in April. Uh, and, and I'm just going to I'm just going to run through these questions real quick, Ambassador. Mm -hmm. Number one, uh, is there any indication that the April 11th election will be fair? Not at all. The April election will not be fair because to get to a fair election, you have to be able to set up the right process. Do, okay. Does does what has happened leading up to, to April 11th put the the uh, the electorate and the and the, and the people of Benin in graver danger. Yes, it does because what's going on now is because of the fact that uh, a, a part of the population, which is a northern part of the population, have been feeling that they've been tracked. The leader have been tracked, and the population is now well served by this government. Does is there a potential for serious civil unrest? Is the opposition well organized to do this diplomatically or is the opposition ready for a fight which could draw more civil unrest in Porto Novo and the rest of the country? Uh, the, the opposition is organized. However, they try every avenue for peaceful resolution of the uh, issue. But the population is so fed up that the risk is coming from that point on, because the uprising might become just like in 2019 during the legislative election, where they had uprised, spontaneous uprise. I think there is a risk is there. How um, how important is the fair election in Benin and minimizing? 
civil unrest. I read several reports and talking to other players in the region that have said that, uh, you know, any civil unrest based on the uh, unfair elections happening on April 11th could trigger terrorist groups such as ISIS, Boko Haram, uh, uh, IQIM, or AQIM. Uh, you throw terrorism into the mix. Is this bring a potential stability issue not or a st stability concern but does this bring the ability of democracy in that part of africa even at risk yes i think we have a serious uh, uh issue with regard to this unstable election and why uh, it, what is known right now is that uh, the french intelligence have said uh, some time ago that uh, the islamic state uh, is looking to settle in Benin and Cote d'Ivoire. And when you look closely to how the Islamic State function, where are the Islamic State is uh, going to conquer territories. And they already have set up in Africa, the Islamic State of West African provinces. And a contingency to the fact that right now, the people political issue is in Benin, is creating a sentiment that a minority from the north, which is a preeminently Muslim uh, a minority, are very frustrated with regard to the government and frustrated in relation to the public service. In addition to that, they've been tracked. As, as I, I'm talking now, there is a, a military in the whole part of the north, and that part of the north is close enough to Niger, in uh, Nigeria, where those Islamists uh, uh, are extremists are yeah. operating. So therefore, yes, there is, there is the situation is to some extent that right. when that part of the country become unstable, they will take over. What? Why? Why should this concern uh, the United States, the State Department, the White House, and the American electorate? For several reasons. Uh, one of the major reasons is that. Uh, in 2020, the United States put about $100 million into Benin, in addition to $375 million that the, uh, the MCC is putting into Benin. That's the financial side. But the, the most important part for the U.S. is the fact that all this uh, terrorism issue is not only just a local issue. Because ultimately, when terrorists take over a country or a portion of territory, they always go after the U.S. asset because of the, and that's one of the reasons actually that people are worried because Benin have been a democracy. Benin have been, uh, the U.S. and Benin have had a, a, a shared common values around democracy. And once that fall into that, that uh, in the hand, uh, basically, when this, uh, uh, those share values are gone, that means that is less, uh, 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 less potential for the U.S. to have uh, a peace in that region. And let me ask you uh, last couple of questions as we're coming up on uh, the time that we've got to close out. Um, I do want to make a statement for full disclosure. Uh, Ambassador 
Aruna. Uh, you are the vice president of the board of directors of our organization, the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs. Uh, the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs has, in fact, taken a, uh, a very strong position on this. I also want to clear up that you and I did not uh, discuss the questions I was going to ask. You have not heard any of these questions before. No, I have uh, not. So it was completely it, it was completely uh, done on the up and up. Uh, but saying that, I want to lead into the last couple of questions. Number one, did uh, well? Let me ask it this way: What does Washington have to do to make this right? Okay, to make this right, I think it's important that Washington put pressure on the government in ben on Benin so they can take it, they can stop the electoral process, stop the electoral process, and we can uh, convene a dialogue, a conference for all the people of Benin so we can talk about it and start the protest right. Secondly, if it doesn't happen, I think we, we have to look at a sanction, a targeted sanction like uh, uh, for the people, the individual that are running this issue, because violence is bound to happen. Uh, and then people who are will be at the root of that violence should be sanctioned. Like we could use the Magnitsky Act, for example, to target some of those officials who are doing those atrocities. Because if you recall, Amnesty International have uh, already said that they were in the 2019 election, people who have died because the army shoot into live uh, live bullet right. uh, into pro uh, protestation. So we definitely need to look at that. And the U.S. also definitely to ultimately look at uh, the AIDS in Benin because we cannot expect that the U.S. taxpayer, and that I'm, I'm saying this also as a U.S. citizen, that's a U.S. A, a taxpayer money goes into a situation where democracy is uh, does but not exist. But let, let me ask you. Let me ask you this question because the, the one comment that I hear from various people in the foreign policy community is the question still asked: Where is the African Union in this? And should this be an African Union problem? Should this be an African problem for Africans to fix? And can they make this better? Under other circumstances, yes, I would think that would be African Union problem or ECOWAS Union problem. However, and those organizations are, are is well. Let me ask this question. Let me, let me just interrupt real quick. Is the African Union engaging in Benin to make the election fair? Are they putting in election monitoring, for example? No, they're not engaging effectively in Benin. And that is from the sentiment of uh, the African people in general. I think they think that those organizations are led by corrupted officials. Uh, because if you look at the situation in other parts of the Africa, Mali, Guinea, Cote d'Ivoire, and now Benin, elections happen, African Union, ECOWAS, and all those organizations, regional organizations, they go over there, the election people, they, they side with the head of state. As a matter of fact, there is a, a joke going on that the African Union is a body of head of state association, as well as the other ECOWAS. Basically, the people who are forming those bodies are mostly corrupted. Okay. All right. This is obviously a situation we're going to be monitoring. Uh, Ambassador uh, Omar Aruna, Your Excellency, as always, it's great to talk to you. 
great perspective on this. Thank you very much, Justin. For more information on the subject you just heard about, or any of our articles, reports, or events, log on to nycfpa.org. Also, please consider subscribing to Message Traffic on your favorite podcast service, like Apple, Google, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. You can also follow us on social media by searching for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For questions regarding the center, or just to let us know what you were thinking, you can email us at info at nycfpa.org. On behalf of the board and staff of the New York Center for Foreign Policy Affairs, thank you for listening.